So we've been talking about God's big camping trip. And God's big camping trip um, was with the Israelites in going through the wilderness. And God set up this thing called a tabernacle. He had the children of Israel put together this tabernacle, also called the tent of meeting. Now, when we say tent, how many of you think camping? I love the picture of God camping out with his people. And I know some may think, gee, that sounds irreverent, but I really believe that that's what is happening here. And I'll get to why I just lit those candles. Some of you already know, but those of you that weren't here last week, um, I'll I'll try and catch you up, all right? But um, God's big camping trip, and as we, I, I thought it was kind of timely for us to talk about this because as we draw near to camping season, and many of you are going to be out camping, suffering for Jesus, camping in the wilderness, as it were, paying lots of money to pretend that you're homeless. <laughs> See, I, I want you guys to, when you're out camping, when you light that campfire, I want you to be thinking of us back home. No, no. I want you to be thinking about God camping out with you. I want you to be thinking of God's presence with you, God's love of you. And as I've been talking about and I've been repeating this a lot, is that a big part of camping is, is discovery. For those of you that have never camped in Wyoming, I, I feel bad for you, uh, but it's part of the fun of camping is discovering the best camping spot, right? Anybody agree with me that that's one of the things that you love about camping is finding the perfect spot where, gee, you just have these great memories of the kids playing in the little creek, catching little minnows. Anybody ever been there before? There's lots of places like that, aren't there? Discovering the amenities, discovering the secrets of your favorite outhouse. Hey, I know. I've heard your guys' stories. Man, the outhouse was really clean. Cool. That is important, isn't it? Discovering the beauty of the area, discovering the beauty of the evening, but also discovering one another, discovering the relationships, reconnecting. And God's big camping trip that we're, we've been talking about is all about us discovering God. It's all about the Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt discovering God, figuring out who is this God that just rescued us because they've spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt, right? And, and many of us have, have thought about this. I've even said it before that When you've been a slave for 400 years, you are really good at being a slave. But we're going to talk about aiming the light this morning and how our lives should be lived in a way that illuminates God instead of ourselves. 
the tabernacle was the central piece of God's big camping trip. And uh, Mike, if you could put up the tabernacle picture. This is a depiction uh, that I found. And uh, it shows the fence and um, the poles and everything around there. It shows the main courtyard where they would have uh, done the sacrifices on the brazen altar. I know you guys can't read that small of print, but the idea was you come in through this entrance and you do the sacrifice and then the priest would move to the brazen laver and they would cleanse themselves, go through a ritual washing. And then the priest would enter into the holy place or the sanctuary. And we're going to look at that uh, more in detail again this morning. But uh, as I've said before, this... Um, tabernacle would have been striking. One, it was at the center of their camp. And the fence around it, seven and a half feet tall. It was made of linen. So yes, it would have been a white fence in the desert. Probably would have stuck out just a little bit, as, as I've said before. But the tabernacle or tent of meeting was the center. And, and this ties in with uh, when kings camped out with their people, the king camped out in the middle of everybody else. So everybody else was surrounding the king, and this is true here, is everybody is surrounding the king of Israel, because at this point in time, God was king, all right? So why the camping trip? And I haven't really discussed this before, but why the camping trip? Why is God doing this? Why is he uh, doing so many things that we're going to look at today um, that seem a little foreign to us, seem, you know, what's, what's going on? And first of all, if we go back to Adam and Eve and the original sin, the fall of man happened and the spiritual lights, so to speak, were turned out. The fall of man, man became spiritually dead, unable to really connect. And the only thing that that man had at that point were five senses. And that's all really most of the time that we operate in. What are those five senses? See, touch, taste, hear, smell. And this tabernacle is full of almost sensory overload for people that have come out of Egypt. They've, they've seen all sorts of things. They've heard all sorts of things. They've tasted all sorts of things smelled all sorts of things, but here is the central point of the awakening of the spirit of man by appealing to those five senses. And maybe a better word rather than appealing would be to, to uh, connect those five senses to worship. Now, I've been reading a book recently, and I, I don't think I can rem remember the four things that, that they talk about in that book, but it talks about defining moments, that moments can make a whole difference in our lives. Moments in time can shape our lives in a big way. And they identify four things. And let's see if I can remember. Uh, one is, um, I just had it, two. Well, you guys are going to just have to trust me. There's four things, <laughs> all right? I just blanked out on it. And uh, I'm just thinking of where I have those written down. 
because I just shared those with somebody else. But those, those, those four things, when I looked at those, I thought, man, God was creating moment after moment after moment to cause people to, generations later, be able to come back to this place, to this tabernacle, and connect with God. Through the, throughout the Old Testament, God had to stimulate the senses because after Adam, like I said, and up to the time of Jesus, man was spiritually dead. God is spirit, and all man knew was the five senses. Again, what he could see, touch, taste, hear, and smell. And the Lord would begin here at the tabernacle to enshrine the people of Israel with the ceremony, the rituals, uh, so that they could remember him. Um, God, God began to tie a people ruled by their senses to something spiritual so that they would have faith to simply obey him because of what they could see, what they could taste, what they could hear. If you think about the covenant of circumcision, and those of you that don't know what circumcision is, I'm not going to explain it right now. But each time a man would go to the restroom, he would remember the covenant. He'd been cut. He had experienced something at the very core of his being that was very personal, and yet it would con constantly draw him back to thinking in terms of, wow, God made a covenant. What was that covenant? That one day Messiah would come of the nation that God raised through the first Hebrew, Abraham, where circumcision came from. This Messiah would be the savior of the whole world. God started by giving them a physical structure called the tabernacle with all its furniture, with all the priesthood, with all the offerings. Then he gave them daily rituals, reminders, prayers, weekly Sabbaths, feasts, festivals. You know, when we think of feasts and festivals, I don't know that we really relate to that. God gave them a reason to party. And like I've said many times, physical actions often help us to identify spiritual truths that are happening in our lives. And so God gives us physical things that we can do, like water baptism. When we're baptized in water, it's a physical act, but it's identifying with a spiritual uh, decision of faith to put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you, you are dead to your old self. And when you come up out of the water, you're alive to righteousness. You are no longer walking in your own ability, but you're walking in the, the ability of Jesus Christ. Communion is another physical action that we will participate in today. And the tabernacle provides that center of discovery. Communion comes from this place. And I'm pointing back to this because I'm, I'm going to start talking about this. But the pattern Exodus reflects the real. In Exodus 25, 8 through 9, we've read this a few times now. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. Just so you shall make it. The pattern is significant. God is not only revealing something of the present with them, but also revealing something of the future, of his future plans and his purpose. 
not a God in the distance. He's a God who dwells among them. But the tabernacle is more than just a camping trip. It's exploring the pattern. It's exploring the shadow of what it says in Hebrews chapter 8. And I'll, I'll read this, but it's talking about the, the tabernacle of Moses was a copy or a shadow of the real things in heaven. And it, it's a revelation. God's showing something of himself. Now, it says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Because the tabernacle there, man put together, man erected it, put, it, put the whole thing in place. But it's saying here in Hebrews that that was a copy or a shadow of the true nature of what's happening in the heavenlies which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when, we, when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern show you, shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. If we can look at the copy of the things in the tabernacle, we can better understand what God is up to in our lives. The depth of God's salvation is revealed in his details. And most of the time, quite honestly, we're content not to dive deep into the details, but to just live kind of on the surfacey parts of what God has revealed. So understanding the aim of the golden lampstand, and this is, uh, if you could put that next picture up, Mike. <clears throat> this kind of puts it in a diagram that, that I relate to better. Um, we're still getting into revealing more of this, but like I said, we've got the gate down here, brazen altar, that's where the sacrifice was made, then once the sacrifice of the animal was made, then the priest would move to the laver, wash, and then go into the holy place. As a person, I would bring my sacrifice, and I would identify with that, but then the priest would handle the whole thing from there, but what we see here is atonement in the way we see an entrance supplied into the holy place. And even though at that time it was just for the priests, what we know now is, is that we are a royal priesthood. And we enter the holy place. And we'll be, begin to talk more about the holy of holies. And um, as we look at this, um, I wanted to make a few points here about the door. It's an entrance and an exit. We're meant to go in and out of the presence of the Lord. Now, we know that he never leaves us nor forsakes us, but there's a place where we enter into that, that relationship. We enter there and we, we listen. Somebody, somebody said something this morning about listening, not just being silent. A lot of times we think listening is being silent, but we can be silent 
and our brain is filled with all sorts of stuff, right? All kinds of thoughts. We're not actively listening. You know, some of you have probably experienced somebody that, that is silent while you're responding to them, but you realize that while they're, that you're responding, they're thinking already of their response. So they're not really listening to what you're saying. It's just they're already gearing up for the next arguing point, right? And for us to listen actively to God is a matter of coming into his presence and listening, not having our long laundry list of prayer needs, but listening, observing, employing our senses to connect with him, employing our spirit to connect with him. So we go in and out, coming and going. The golden table of showbread, the table of presence, which represents, and, and we've talked about this now for about three weeks, and uh, these were fresh last week. And, and today would be the day that we would replace them, right? You go seven days, and then you put fresh, fresh bread. What was interesting is, uh, as I studied this, is it would say that the bread would remain fresh for those seven days, <clears throat> before the Lord, and then the priests would come in, and they would gather around the table, and they would partake of the bread together. We don't know how many priests for sure partook of that bread, but they would come into the holy place, the sanctuary, and they would partake. <clears throat> and I'm reminded this morning, I was going to switch the bread out, and I thought this was a good example, that our lives are lived before God. He provides for us. He is our source. But you know what? It's up to us to keep it fresh. Now, anybody that knows pita bread knows that they don't just break in half, do they? <laughs> All right, so it's up to us to keep that presence fresh. The frankincense would be on the loaves, which I talked about, um, that there's probably some residual effects of the frankincense that we found has some incredibly great health benefits. So the priests are partaking, and, and it was very likely that the priest had this tendency to live longer than everybody else because they were partaking of things that helped them to live longer. So the golden table of showbread, the table of presence, our lives are always before God. He provides for us. He is our source. But then, and, and I was explaining this last week, is that if you came to the tabernacle... You would come from the east and you would proceed west. And so as you're looking at that gate, you're looking west into that. So on the uh, north side of the holy place is where the table of showbread is or the table of, of presence, the bread of presence. And then on the south side would be the lampstand. And if you go to the next slide, Mike, we're going to talk quite a bit about the lampstand here for a minute. And... As, as we look at the lampstand, then on the south, then farther west, would be the gold, golden altar of incense. So the golden lampstand, seven oil lamps. <clears throat> All I have is, is candles up here. The middle lamp was lit first, and that's the seventh lamp. The one in the middle was lit first, and it represents seven, the number of completion. Jesus, 
Our salvation is complete in Christ. There's nothing that needs to be added. Amen? And so then the other six candle or uh, lamps were lit, and those, again, are, are provided uh, with fuel, was uh, fine-pressed olive oil. Very pure olive oil was provided for those lamps, and that's what keep them lit, kept them lit. And so as we see those six, what's the number of six represent? The number of man. And so we are deriving our light from Christ and, and I want us to look at the golden altar of incense in the coming week or two, but the main thing about that that I'm just going to say is that golden altar of incense represents prayer. It represents communication with God. Now, if you have your Bibles here, if you turn with me to Numbers chapter 8. The other thing that was lit is right now it's shown as a black line across there. Uh, but it was actually a veil uh, between the Holy of Holies and the holy place uh, or the sanctuary. So as you go in there, you could see because of the lamp that was lit, it was lit 24-7, 365 days a year. It was always providing light in what would have been otherwise a very, very dark place. There were, I think it was, three layers over the tabernacle of coverings, and those coverings kept things dark inside. No light from outside was coming in, so the inside of the tabernacle was illuminated by these lamps. And I want to look at this because this is what actually got me started on this whole study of the tabernacle is this, this portion in Numbers 8. I was journaling several weeks ago on this, and it just, as I was reading it, it just caught my attention here. And, and let, me, let me read this to you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, this is verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in the front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. From its shaft to its flowers, it was hammered work. According to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. And Mike, if you, um, before you go to the next one, just again, I, I kind of have this gold oblong uh, around there just to show the illumination of that lamp. And I think it's interesting <clears throat> that as you go to the next uh, picture, Mike, that this shows a depiction, an artist's depiction of the menorah according to the biblical um, instructions. Now, we don't know if this is exactly what it looked like, but we know that it represents the bulbs, the flowers, the space in between. We know it represents the bowls where the the flame would be, it represents where the, the oil would come in and would be illuminating the holy place. But I found it interesting that God spoke to Moses and said this, I want you to aim that light so that it's focusing forward 
what would be on the, the table of showbread and the table of incense. So the holy place is being illuminated. And I, and I think I was thinking about this as we were worshiping. I was thinking of, of the subtlety of God. That there are things that God does that are just blasting it out there. Boom! I am God. But then there are other things that you, when you walk into the tabernacle, it's the subtlety of his presence. And, and there wasn't like spotlights. There, were, there weren't LED lights lighting up the, the tabernacle. It was just the subtlety of these lamps that, that are lighting up this area. And as the priest would minister in there, they would be able to see the, the golden lampstand. They'd be able to see the golden table showbread. They'd be able to go up here to the altar of incense that was also always burning. That represents prayer, represents communication with God. So what, what's that? What's that say? And, and how? How? What are you talking about by aiming our light? Well, when they did the hammered work of gold. Now I can't show you this on a candle, but if you guys could imagine that, that there would be a golden hammered cup around this that would cause the light not to shine back here, but to shine forward and, and illuminate forward rather than back here. There's a, a thing in Hebrew that's called a remez. And, and I'm going to tell you guys that what I'm going to say right now isn't one of those things that you can say, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's the, the word of God, although I think there's some basis for what I'm going to say like forgetting those things that are behind you and pressing forward to the upward call that we have in Christ Jesus. But I love the fact that what God is doing is he's saying, let's aim the light at what really matters. I'm the source of life, and I want to bless you. I'm the source of life, and I want you to be able to communicate with me. These are the things that are happening. And with the veil... In the holy place, he's saying, I'm the source of life, and I have more for you. I want to move you into that place. But aiming our light. So illustration, I, I usually have to say, Lord, I'm not getting it. I need you to help me catch what you're speaking in a way that I can understand. So car's headlights. Let's put that first picture up, would you, Mike? This is my truck parked at my house at night. I think you guys can tell that, right? And I've got the headlights on low. Now, a few years ago, I hit a deer out on South Fork. And I wiped out one whole headlight. It was just kind of like hanging out after I hit that deer. And, and it, it, was, it was a deer that had a death wish. He just... It was at night, and all of a sudden, he was just like, like that. And I, was, I tried slowing down. I probably still hit him at 55. It was just so fast. Uh, there wasn't time enough for me to really slow down. I wasn't going 65, believe me, okay? I, w I really wasn't. Okay. So the reason why I tell that story is because what I did is um, I could either have the insurance company pay a body and fender place to 
replace everything and make it like it was stock. But if you had a look at my pickup, if you've never looked at it before, you realize that the white paint is peeling and all sorts of things are happening. And, and I'm thinking I would take my pickup in and they would repair it and I'd have this beautiful looking piece on this one side and the rest of it still got peeling paint over it. So I thought, why not buy a Deer Slayer bumper for the front of my pickup? Those of you that don't, don't know what a Deer Slayer bumper is, it's, it's, it's better than stock. It's a big piece of steel just sitting up there begging a deer, please, let me hit you. All right? So... <clears throat> when I did this, I, um, I had to buy new headlights, and, uh, and I did a lot of research, and I bought, I got the insurance money, and then I started purchasing the pieces, and we put them together myself, and the headlights went in, and you know, have you guys ever been out driving, and somebody's coming towards you, and you're like, man, I wish they'd dim their lights, you know, and, and sometimes it's not a matter of dimming their lights, it's a matter of their headlights need to be aimed. And I learned this when I installed these lamps because I thought, they're brand new. Why would I need to aim them? Silly me. Especially since you just put them in, you have to aim them. And so I looked at the directions that was, you know, I probably almost lost my man card over that. You know, I looked at the directions to figure out how to aim these lights. And the reason why these lights are kind of cool, I like them, is because they're, they're called projector headlights. And if, if I could show you that when, when they, and yeah, I kind of geek out on this stuff, but when I turned the lights on, when I started aiming them, I noticed a distinct line coming down. And it said to get that line down to a certain height from a certain distance away, you bring that down so that when your lights are on dim, they're not going to blind anybody, but they're also going to illuminate the roadway in the best way possible. But what's cool about these projector headlights that I purchased is they really do have a line to where the light just doesn't go up any farther than it has to. And then when you turn them on bright, that line comes up farther, but there's still a line. And I thought, man, that's cool. That doesn't happen with stock headlights. These are way cool. But I didn't stop there. Go to the next one. The bumper had four slots, and I decided that LED lights, because when you drive at night in Wyoming, you want to light up the road as long as nobody else is coming. So I, I took out my stock driving lights, put these four LEDs. I know some of you are like, what in the world is the point? Okay, but stick with me, all right, because there really is a point. I had one of those LEDs that, for some reason, no matter how much I tightened it up, after a few days, it would be off this way, which was handy to be able to see what was in the ditch. <laughs> and recently, I took, took my pickup to a mechanic, and, and he must have looked at that and had pity on me, and he aimed all of them properly and tightened them down better than what I had. Mike, you can, you can take that one down now. 
Just as God instructed Moses to instruct Aaron to aim the lights in the tabernacle, we must consider the aim of the light God has placed in us. <clears throat> I think there's been several times in my life where the aim of my light needed some adjustment. That it was, you know, if, if I would have thought, I would have brought my little LED flashlight. It's not little. It's one of those ones that used to be only police carried them, it seemed like. But I've got one of those at home, and it's great because it shines for a long ways. But if you happen to turn it around to say, why isn't this coming on? You'll be blind for a little while when it does light up. And I think there's a few times, probably more than a few, there's probably been a lot of times where the aim of the light of Christ in me has not been either allowed to focus where it needs to or it's been so out of adjustment that it just like causes people to recoil. But what do we aim our light at? Or better yet, who do we illuminate with our light? And, and I'm... I, I talked about this a little bit last week. I think the tabernacle identifies where we're supposed to aim the light. And there's a lot of things that we do that, that seem to make a lot of religious sense, but they don't necessarily make, re, make spiritual sense. First of all, we aim our light at the presence of God. The light in the tabernacle illuminated the bread of presence. Again, that the 12 tribes of Israel were always represented before God. 12 loaves, fresh every week, brought in every week. Somebody had to be baking these things every week and bringing those things in. Oil had to be pressed and, and put in, but... All of this was done, again, to cause their senses to connect with the spiritual nature of who God is and his presence and his power, his purpose in their lives. And so when we illuminate with our lives the presence of God, we're simply saying, I believe God's here. Now, you can go farther than that if you want, but you better be led by the Spirit because otherwise you may be just turning on the LED headlights when somebody's coming towards you and they're just like trying to stay on the road at that point because you've become so offensive that they can't see what you're trying to get at. Some of you are nodding your heads like, yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. And, that, and that's where the Lord is really bringing some correction in my life as I deal with a lot of people in the world that they don't need me coming up and, and saying, repent, you dirty sinner, before it is too late. There's truth in that. But that's like the LEDs, like, Bleh! People need to know that God is here with us. People need to know that God cares about us, that he's providing for us, that, that he is constantly giving his attention to us. And that's what our lives should illuminate. And oftentimes our energy is absorbed by our focus on the evil around us. 
But God has provided a better way, and that's illustrated in this holy place that we're looking at. Here's the second thing that I believe we're supposed to illuminate with our light. Our lives are always lived before God. Our lives are provided by God. He supplies our need. Thankful to God for the gift of life. Thankful to God for his provision. When somebody says, man, you, you really bless, or you really did a good thing there. Or, man, I love it when you do that. Or whenever they do that, you can say thank you. But you also can say, man, God, God's been good to me. A lot of times um, in dealing with my friends downtown, occasionally an opportunity comes, and, and this is the third thing that I believe our light is supposed to be aimed at, is the opportunity to approach God in prayer as represented in the golden altar of incense. This, again, the lamps lighting these things up, and, and that's where I'm coming with this from, you guys, is the opportunity to approach God in prayer. And I get emails once in a while from, from people, and I don't know who, who, who they are completely. I don't know what spiritual beliefs they have. I don't know if they're a Christian or not. But when they, when they email me or they call me and they say, yeah, I'm not going to make it to the meeting because my daughter is sick, one of the things I love to do is I love to be able to just say, man, I'll be praying for you and your daughter. That's, that stinks that she's sick right now. I've never had anybody say, would you please not do that? Everybody has been thankful for that. Prayer is an ongoing opportunity, not only for us to approach God in prayer, not only for us to bring people to him in prayer, but for us to illuminate and say, Josiah, not only can I pray for you, but God wants to hear your prayers. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from each one of us. It's not a matter of, I somehow am more spiritual and I can pray better than you can. No, God wants us all to come into that place. Now, I, I talked about this a bit last week, and it's, we often aim our light at the church instead of the kingdom. We often aim our light at ourselves, the church, rather than the kingdom of God. One, one of the ways that I see us doing that is we want to get people here to the gathering or there to another gathering. We want to get people to the gathering instead of realizing that when we walk into that situation, the presence of God comes with us. And we get to illuminate the fact that God is with us. God cares about you in, in your particular situation. When I walk into a hospital room and somebody's sick in the hospital room, I believe I'm bringing the presence of God into that hospital room. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for the doctors. I want to pray for the nurses. I want to pray for all of those people involved. When I, you know, one of the things I, I don't often talk about, I think I've mentioned it before, is that when I see an airplane flying in to make a landing here in, 
in Cody or I see one taking off, I often pray, Lord, bless the people on that flight, especially bless the pilot. Let's, pilots, Lord, help them to land here in Cody. You guys realize it's, it's a challenge to land at our airport. And if there's one taking off, I'm usually like, Lord, it'd be fun to be traveling right now. But bless those people wherever they're going. They're going so many different directions. Bless them, Lord. But we often aim our light at the church, ourselves, instead of the kingdom. We try to get people to attend the church, which I, I kind of went off on this last week. This isn't the church. <laughs> this building is not the church. It's a building, for goodness sake. Let's quit calling it the church. It's a gathering place for a portion of the church. The church is all believers in Christ, past and present. The church can meet in a lot of different places. The church is doing all sorts of things throughout the day. And the kingdom of God is what's represented in the tabernacle. When the priest would enter, the sacrifice has been made, the covering, the atonement has been made, the way has been made, and, and they go in, and there's the entrance, and there's this place of holiness that they've now entered into. Or another way to say it, wholeness in relationship with God. That they're no longer kept away, they're no longer separate, but they come into that place of communion with God. And that's what our world needs, church. Calling you all the church. You're not the whole church, but you're a portion of it. The recognizing our need of his presence is not attending the gathering. Well, why should I attend? Well, one, because the Bible says to. But the, it's, it's, you haven't, it's like, it's like being silent and listening are not the same thing. It's, it's where people say, I'm a Christian because I attend church. And you know the old joke, I'm not a car because I go stand in the garage. You're a Christian and you come into this place, hopefully, so that there's this connection of life and there's this place where we gather together for the same purposes and the same plan to be instructed, to be encouraged. But it's more important, church, for the church to go out strengthened, empowered, reminded of God's purpose, and to go back out just as the priest came in did their ministering before God on behalf of the people of Israel, and then they went back out and did more out there. And that's what I want us to see. We come in to this gathering place, and we get filled up, and we get strengthened, but we go out to minister again. You know, one of the other things, we often aim our light at ways we want people to change instead of illuminating the way to change. I need more light on who God is and how important I am to him. We need more light on who God is and how important people are to him. 
I need more light on the opportunity to approach him and talk with him. And the world needs more light on God's presence and desire to talk with us, to lead and guide us. I need to know that the light is illuminating the opportunities ahead instead of lighting up my past failures. The people we meet need to see the light of hope in a future with God who loves them. The people we meet, I'm saying it again, the people we meet need to see the light of hope in a future with God who loves them. That's going to happen as we invest in their lives. As, and, and every once in a while, pe people say, I don't know why you're doing this. I've recently been, um, you know, Roland and Kay, you guys have been helping Milton. He's not here yet this morning, but I want you to know that uh, you guys are having a profound impact on Milton's kids. Because you guys have been caring for Milton when they are too far away to be able to do that. And what, what's happened is, and I'm just sharing this with, with Roland and Kay, but all the rest of you as well, is that Milton's daughter has me on the phone the other day and, and she said, I used to be a Christian, I'm no longer a Christian. But the way you guys have been treating my dad is causing me to reevaluate what I really believe. Roland and Kay, that didn't happen here. Happened in Casper. Happened when Connie and I made a quick trip over to Powell to get some paperwork signed for her that she needed from her dad as he's getting life flighted to Casper. All of this stuff is happening, and we're just like, why is this going on? You know, this is so, I don't know if anybody ever thinks this way, but man, Lord, life sure is inconvenient sometimes. People need to know that there's hope in a world that is just constantly being degraded more and more. And oftentimes I think we, I was talking about this with someone the other day that uh, a worship leader who's, who's really become mainstream, so many of you are listening uh, on mainstream radio, if you're listening, you're probably hearing Lauren Daigle on the radio. And uh, she was asked a question about her view on homosexuality recently. Well, this has been a few months ago. And man, I'll tell you what, the outpouring of irritation and anger and even hatred from Christians, or at least people who claim to be Christian, was awful. Well, she answered wrong. She needs to buck up and, and realize that she needs to answer correctly. And, and you know, if she loses her career over, the, over that, then that's just fine. And I want to tell you guys, the enemy has his, has his people asking questions to try and get you. To try and discredit you in the eyes of the people that you're meant to minister to. All you're meant to do is light up the presence of God. Light up the purpose of God. Light up the, the ability to go in and walk in his provision. The, the ability to walk in communication with a God who loves you and cares about you. That's what we're meant to light up. And these things that come out, I'm not saying they're not wrong. What I am saying is this, is that we need to pick our battles. And the main thing is to turn the light on instead of the light being turned off. 
And when we criticize a fellow sister in the Lord and we begin to nitpick and, and pick her apart, we're playing in exactly to the enemy's hand and his purpose. I don't know her well enough to know what her position is, but I know that God has blessed her and given her a platform, and if she's misusing it, God's big enough to take care of that. He doesn't need my help. Hi. So my conclusion this morning is Jesus is the light of life. John 8:12 says Jesus says I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. With Jesus, we can't do this separate of Jesus by the way. We can be really nice, we can be great. But we can't go to the depths of where God wants to lead his people without Jesus. But with Jesus, we light up God's big camping trip. Because we, you guys remember, this world ain't our home. Hallelujah. This world is not our home. It's just God's big camping trip. He's just hanging out with us, wanting us to get to know him. And one day, we're going to get to enjoy his presence unfettered by this world. But with Jesus, we light up God's big camping trip. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I was listening to a uh, podcast the other day. And some of you may have read this post, but I'm going to share it with you real quick. Um, just got to remember where it's at. Horst Schultz. Anybody ever heard of him? He's one of the founders of, uh, man, and, and the name of the hotel chain just blanked, blanked out for me. But it's a five-star hotel system that he's a co-founder in. I also found out in that podcast that he is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. This is good, good advice for us in conclusion this morning as we come up and partake at this table. Never go to work just to work. Go there to be excellent. This is what Horst was told when he was learning to be a busboy. Because when he started in the hotel business, he started at the very bottom. And as he came up, he made it up to busboy. How many of you think making it up to busboy wasn't a great, great move up, right? But he was told by the guy that was training him, never go to work just to work. Go to work to be excellent. And I would say to you, church, this morning, never go into life just to get by. Go into life to live it fully unto Jesus. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify our Father in heaven.
Amen? Amen. That's what the tabernacle is getting at, church. So as we come to this table, we look at the bread. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So as we come and partake of the bread today, we're partaking of his body that was broken for us, that we have his ability that we don't live this life in our own strength. And the grape juice, and I'm reading the, the section out of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. This table this morning is open to all who have given their life to Christ, who have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, who understand the illumination is to light up Jesus, who's the way we've been talking about in the tabernacle, that Jesus is that sacrifice that provides the way into relationship with God. And without our faith in Jesus as our Savior, then we shouldn't partake of this, partaking in an unworthy manner, thinking that this is just a ritual. Jesus said that as long as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. And I've said this, I don't know how many times, but I, I, I never get tired of saying it. I hope you don't get tired of hearing it. When Jesus said, you proclaim my death, he was basically saying, you're proclaiming what I am going to proclaim on the cross. It is finished. The way has been made for you to come in. The way for you to have a relationship with God has been made. Is there, are there things in your life that maybe need to be changed, maybe more aligned with, with what he has for his will and purpose for your life? Yeah. Well, let's take advantage of the way first. Let's let him work on the rest of the details. Amen. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or even this morning, you'd be saying, 
yeah, I want to give my life to Christ. I, I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord. If, if that's you this morning, then, then come and partake. And, and would you tell somebody this morning, hey, I put my faith and trust in Jesus today. I, I'd, I'd love for you to do that. Tell somebody before you leave today. All right? So, Lord, we come to this table and we're reminded <laughs> again the subtlety of this table is to partake of this bread, partake of this grape juice that remind us that, Jesus, your body was broken so that I could be made whole. Your blood was shed so that I could be free from sin. Lord, thank you that you made a way so that we can come into that holy place, that place of whole relationship, complete relationship with God. And in that place, then, Lord, we can be discovering on the rest of this big camping trip that we have what your purpose, your plan, what your will is for our lives. And Lord, we want to live that in such a way that we illuminate that way for other people to find as well. So as we come and partake, Lord, we're reminded and we are thankful that Jesus finished that work for us. All we need to do now is put our faith and trust in him. And as we come and partake, we are actively proclaiming once again, Jesus, my faith is in you. My trust is in you. Amen.